0: Welcome to the Reimagining Work podcast. We've got a special edition this time. Um, I'm Rogi Nord. I'm your host. John Wenger, who's normally here, can't make it because he's busy uh, with other things. But we do have a special guest for a special occasion. Uh, The occasion is the Enterprise 2.0 Summit in London uh, this November 25th. Um my guest is Ewan Semple. Uh, he is keynote speaker on the event, and so uh, you have to be there early in the morning because he's opening um, uh, with his talk. Um, Ewan is a management consultant and author, and uh that's very broad. <laughs> um he has uh worked for the BBC. Nokia, World Bank, NATO, and a couple of others, probably. Um, and from his LinkedIn profile, he's got the sentence that he helps people get their heads around social, and that social media, social business, and the social web. Um, that's pretty significant, Johan, and um, very interesting. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? How that, uh, how you got there, in into the where you are now, uh, how, how you got there through the BBC, basically, and, and others?
1: Yep. well, as, as you say, I used to work at the BBC. Um, I'd worked there for a very long time by the time I left, um, 21 years altogether. A lot, okay. a lot. I, I left nearly nine years ago now, which seems amazing. Mm. Um, but 13 years ago, uh, I got into blogging. I was one of the early bloggers. Uh, was around the same time made Director of Knowledge Management at the BBC, and rather than deploying the tools that were available at the time, knowledge management, repositories, all those sort of big systems setups, I decided to have a go at introducing blogging, wikis, bulletin boards into the organisation. It wasn't called social media in those days. It was, uh, wasn't was graced with a name yet. And um, had a, a, a sort of deal of success with that. We ended up with 25,000 staff uh, engaged on our bulletin board discussing all sorts of interesting things people blogging uh, and as I say we're probably one of the earliest examples of managing to make this stick inside a big enterprise
0: um, You wrote a book I want to touch that too Organizations don't tweet, people do um, You wrote that in 2012 uh, which is uh, in internet terms and, and especially in tweet terms uh a long time ago by now. Uh, can you summarise the book in in, in in a few lines just for people who don't know the book?
1: Well, I mean, maybe just to start with the title, it, it came out of a, a slightly uh, grumpy tweet that I did where I was getting frustrated seeing corporate accounts beginning to appear in Twitter and basically filling it with 140-character press releases. And in coming into what I saw as a network of people. So uh, it was just this feeling that, you know... And it still, you st- still see it happening today where uh, a big organisation will have an account. You can't really tell who's behind it. Um, they sort of act like they're a person, but they don't, and it's still of <laughs> confusing. So that was the origin of the title. Uh, and the book was aimed at, really, clients and, and the people that my clients are trying to influence in their organisations. I mean, the subtitle is A Handbook for Managers. And it was to give people involved in big organisations, enough of a handle on why these tools were interesting, how they work, what might be in it for them to engage with them. Uh, And it's a mix of sort of strategic level, what's the point content, but also some practical, this is how you might begin to take the first steps sort of content. And uh, it's interesting, you know, you saying about it being written two years ago, and that being a long time, in internet time. Uh, Yes, but it's actually not such a long time in terms of the time it takes organisations to change. Um, and in fact, it's interesting, I'm seeing as many tweets and references to the book now as I did when it was first published and commented on this to someone who said, well, that's because everybody's just beginning to catch up. Um, and so I think, you know, I always I'm slightly nervous having used the phrase tweet in the, in the title. If Twitter goes, uh, goes, goes tits up, then it'll look a bit awkward. But uh, in terms of the issues, I think... Certainly they're, they're relatively
0: timeless I mean you, yeah, you, can, you exactly. can write about it now and they are still it's, it's evergreen content that you're talking about here
1: yeah and, see, and more senior people I think are now willing to engage with this stuff I think for, for a long time they've been able to just dismiss it as you know to pass it off to their communications department or whatever else whereas now it's, it's you know it's part of the day job
0: Right, right, right. So uh, in, in the past two years, have you, have you seen, uh, in general sense, uh, a change in the way companies handle themselves on Twitter?
1: Yes, and not always positive in the sense that I, I talk about what I call industrial social media, which was the whole uh, taking over of it, in a sense, by marketing Um, And the phrase in some ways became devalued because of that, because it turned into another channel down which companies pumped content. Um, And so many companies in reaction to this challenge or opportunity paid digital agencies to do it for them, um, which was a long way from the original clue train aspiration of uh, markets being conversations and genuine connections between either customers and staff and and organisations. So in a way, as I say, I think we we sort of took a slight step back over the last couple of years, or at least more more than that, three or four years. But I'm, again, optimistic that I'm seeing many of those companies realising that actually it's more complicated and interesting than that and that there are downsides to paying someone else to do it for you uh, and an increasing willingness to learn the ropes and do it themselves.
0: There is a... a, um there is a, a trend in the uh, uh, in social business also because uh, I was at the ION summit in Köln uh, or in Cologne and um, there there are more and more statistics available um, that show uh, that a certain path in social business development um, is working uh, that it's no longer guesswork or that we don't longer have to convince people just of the fact we now can show them statistics that actually prove that what we're doing makes sense Um, and um, uh, uh, but also that a lot of companies are still failing at social business or their uh, their tries and their 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 ventures into social business Um, your book is more About social media rather than social business as such but it does make for the mindset uh, about uh, the fact that we're talking about people and we're not talking about organizations we same thing with social business it's people that need to do the work and not just the organizations that have to do that
1: Well, I mean, we we use the word organisation and and I I struggle with, you know, organisations don't change or do anything people do. Um, And, you know, some of the resistance, I think, to what we're talking about, you know, yes, language like social media or Enterprise 2 or social business has a benefit in the sense that it's a shorthand for, for the direction we're heading in. I also think it can be off-putting to people, and it, it can come across as abstract and theoretical. And people who are on a day-to-day business, busy running businesses, uh, many of them with conventional measurement and reward and recognition and and values, um, this is still very alien to them. Um, so a lot of the work I do with people is just in those individual small steps of moving in this direction, beginning to act differently, behave differently, that I think it takes for it to fully stick. Um, so I think, as I say, the, the risk is that we talk about organisational change, and, and in fact you see this with people uh, you know, putting in enterprise social platforms and spending time and effort building basically an IT project and then wondering why not enough people are using the system. Uh, and that's because I don't think they've made enough effort to help people understand basically what's in it for them.
0: Okay. Um, so um, back to the uh, the summit for a bit, or your uh, your keynote uh, presentation at the summit. Um, just a question is, uh, how do you see the evolution of social techniques within businesses over the past few years?
1: Uh, interesting. That you you describe it as social techniques, um, and I'm always slightly uncomfortable when I'm asked in terms of marketing stuff. You know, people are looking for that killer tweet. How do I write the tweet that goes viral or whatever else? Um, so I, I, as I say, I'm a bit wary of the the idea of techniques because for me, it it really is about connecting, building relationships. Um, building networks and being able to get things done through them. Uh, and so I think it is uh, about that willingness to open up. I mean, the phrase that has been used these days is working out loud, um, but through these platforms, blogging or internal, Yammer, whatever, being able to describe what you're doing, why you're doing it, what the challenges are, what the help you might need is, and basically fostering that ability to get work done collectively and uh, in terms of the keynote, what I was going to focus on was how challenging just even that very basic step is for many people still. Um, it almost comes down to an issue of writing skills. You know, so much business writing is third-person, formal, uh, often jargon-ridden and, and quite often not saying an awful lot. Um, whereas these tools rely on you being authentic, having opinions, being willing to share them and, and engage and to and fro with other people who might differ from those opinions. So those are quite challenging uh, aspects of this, particularly if you are a manager, if you're a senior manager and you've got this you know, baggage of being in charge, um, it can feel very vulnerable to open up to these kind of conversations. But that, I think, is still where the gold is Um and, and without making the effort to bro- to, to broach those challenges, uh, we won't get very far.
0: Right, so, so it's, it's, it's uh, part of it is just, they used to write memos and, and, and notations to each other, or you could get your information in the, in the, the, the meeting minutes. And now basically what we do is, is converse with each other in a more natural way. Uh, manner where we uh, get to say what we want in much less words and uh, be much more effective with with the time and the space that we have.
1: Basically. That's right, and and um, you know the issues around that aren't trivial. I mean, I did a blog post recently about uh, I called it the fear of disapproval, and e- even online, you I know, mean, well, maybe particularly online in public, you know, on Facebook or wherever, people are still very reticent about saying what they think in case that they are judged or disapproved and of course that's even more so if you're doing it in front of your boss um, at work so I think you know we touch on this in the book that if we're going to get the benefits from these tools we need to find ways of being braver at work being more confident at work Um, subtly changing the relationship we have with work. and So that's where it does play into the the whole Enterprise 2 thing. What is the nature of those future relationships? And of course, at the moment, we still have predominantly hierarchical organisations. We have organisations that are measured and paid for sometimes quite different behaviours. So as I say, there's a whole bunch of complex issues that aren't going to change overnight. Um, but but they won't change at all unless people find the, the reason and the courage to start themselves taking those small steps.
0: So that's the, the, the part of the, the, the obstacles and challenges you meet uh, to successfully uh, uh, establish a social collaboration is uh, uh, fear and trust and basically creating an environment where people... Uh, feel less reluctant to participate in, um, in, in 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 the social conversation that's happening.
1: Yes, exactly. And and of course many of the organizations that I work with, and you mentioned some of them at the beginning, like the United Nations who I'm working with at the moment, operate in extremely challenging circumstances. Uh, and in fact they are a good example because it as i tweeted last year there are all these organizations trying to be 2.0 outside when they're not even when they're not even 1.0 inside so you've got institutions or companies trying to engage with fast moving unpredictable networks and conversations on the on the social web out, outside their organisations, but then maybe have much slower moving processes. You know, you have to get 14 people to sign off your blog post before you can respond to something. Um, and that throws up all sorts of challenges. And very often, the people who are given these external facing accounts might be younger, they might have less clout within their own organization so that again throws up a whole bunch of challenges which is the sort of things that I help organizations with so how do you how do you get your manager comfortable with what you're doing and why you're doing it and uh, you know even if they don't actively, and of course part of part of the trouble is the generation who are still running the organizations are very unfamiliar with this world and and they get seduced by numbers you know they just want loads of hits or they want loads of activity and you think well you know, it, it, it's as much, if not more, about quality than it is about quantity. So, again, giving, giving people the means to make those cases and arguments within their own organizations is a lot of what I help with.
0: What, what would be like key drivers if you look at uh, adoption of these social technologies or, or social collaboration or social business or enterprise tool, or whatever you want to call it, in large organizations? What would be like the key thing you would focus on?
1: Um, Well, I think there's both an internal and an external set of benefits. I mean, obviously, I've just touched on the external one, that if you have a fast-moving world outside of customers and and suppliers or whatever else, you have to be able to keep up with those. Um, So speed is one thing, and just being able to work out as an organisation more quickly what your position is on something or how you respond to something. or You know, very often our silos and business structures don't make this easy you know it's not obvious whose responsibility something is because the neat lines of HR communications IT marketing whatever um, don't necessarily fit with the type of problems that we're trying to deal with Um, and also increasingly I think businesses are at risk of having faster moving startups basically taking business from them, because they are just quicker and more agile at dealing with problems. So there's that responding to an external threat, I think, is a big driver. Um, and, and sorry, no, just the, the other one, with the internal one, it's just basically um, productivity and effectiveness. I mean, it fascinates me how much energy and time is soaked up with bureaucratic processes that people don't tend to question. Um, and yet they will ask us to justify this new way of working as if it was... It, it, there's still the perception that it's wasting time. Um, but, you know, people can spend their lives writing 40-page reports or attending meetings that don't change an awful lot, whereas a, well twi- a well-aimed a well tweet can change the world. So it, it's... Uh, you know, I think those of us who've become comfortable with this way of working online are aware of how much we are able to take in, how much information we can glean, how much better informed we are, how much more capable we are of having things happen because we have a network of people we can call on to help us so I think it's you know those sort of productivity and effectiveness gains once you get far enough into this world can be huge and then I suppose the, th- the third one is the personal business of of, you know it used to say that, that the saying used to be that knowledge was power uh, and it used to really mean that holding on to it and only giving it out on special occasions made you powerful. Um, in- increasingly, if you're not sharing it and people don't know that you know what you know, then what's the point? Uh, so I think there's almost a personal, um, I don't like the word personal branding, but there's a personal uh, benefit. Yeah, well, personal it's, it's benefit.
0: When, yeah. it, when, when the interest of, of uh, or, or, the, or the, the idea that people can have that certain information is, is available within the company, that people actively start searching for that information. Um, then, when you have the information and you share it, then you become more valuable. If you have the information and you do not share it, you become less valuable, despite the fact that you have the information.
1: Instead of well, we we, we saw this very clearly with our internal bulletin board. I mean, there was, the story I often tell is that we had, you know, BBC is a big dispersed organisation, and parts of it, like Radio Cumbria, um, are very small. You know, it was two engineers and a sheep, and until our network they had minimal visibility or impact on the rest of the organisation. But because one of the guys was willing to go out of his way to help other people, was very knowledgeable, offered some really useful answers to things, his credibility went up. Conversely, there were people in offices in London with fancy job titles who never engaged or helped others on the bulletin board, and their credibility profile started to be more suspect. Um, So I I think you're right. I mean, it is that opportunity that a a collective approach to these things begins to afford.
0: Um, You have a thesis that organizations can be changed by Trojan mice. Um, I like that, we know the Trojan horse uh, and um, the the idea behind it, I guess. Um, How do you envisage envisage that working in large uh, state organizations?
1: It sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier about change only ever happening at a personal level. Um, you know, organisational change only comes about because enough individuals adopt a different perspective or a different way of working. So I think the Trojan Mice idea plays to that. Um, It's about taking small project steps, making things happen rather than strategising or theorising about them and not doing things that require too many people to say yes or too big a budget, Um, It's almost like a sort of beta testing mentality, a startup kind of mentality within an organization. And I know many organizations are playing with that idea of trying to enable that more entrepreneurial um, approach to things rather than having to wait for a big... Pan organisational set of changes. Um, I mean, just to give credit, well, <laughs> the well, the idea uh, was a, a, I thought originated from a British consultant called Peter Fryer. Um, but when I met him for a coffee, it turns out it actually was a counsellor in Humberside who, when Peter was expressing or describing the world of complexity to him and how things happened in complex environments, this counsellor said, "Oh, you mean like Trojan mice?" Uh, so to give him credit, that's where the phrase came from.
0: Ah. Okay, well, credit
1: where credit's due. <laughs> Indeed. Well, in fact, that, that's, that the reason I mentioning that is that was a big ethos within bloggers in the early days, that we would credit each other's ideas or, you know, referring back to the origination of, a, of an idea or a post. And that's something that I think we, we're at risk of losing in the social networks these days, but I think is a key driver.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, recogni-
1: uh, recognizing contribution, you know.
0: It's the, uh, look, I made this. Oh, you made this? You made this? Oh, I made this. And, yeah. and, and then they run away with it, it, it is, uh, it's a sad development, I don't think it's really original, it's just there's a lot more content to steal for people So,
1: Well but I, th- I also think it's important to, to deal with those issues because when you get into an organisational setting and you have people changing in, in large numbers um, those sort of behaviours begin to matter more um, and, and that track record that one has of behaving ethically if you like Goes back to the idea of your own personal brand, and and um, well, it's important
0: within a company, especially when you want to encourage people to share and to be innovative and come up with ideas that they get credit for their ideas. It's not that a manager goes like, "Well, somebody within my department or I," exactly. because exactly. that's going to work well, not well.
1: And it, well, it's also not relying on the managers to decide on. Who's added value or who's behaved appropriately? It's it's sort of taking responsibility amongst ourselves to mm. do that.
0: Yeah, the group can 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 yeah. self-regulate yeah. and, and
1: come, come up with. That's right and totally. I mean, and that's a key factor in those, you know, the the, the modest success we had at the Beebo was that was helping that or helping that twenty five thousand network. I mean, it, it, clearly they weren't all active all the time, but help helping that group learn the ropes, as it were, and develop that kind of social cohesion. It allows it to become self-regulating. That again is something I think many companies um, don't understand and, and don't invest time and effort in. Mm,
0: no, 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 true. Um, the um, the Trojan mice. Um, it it sounds a little bit like a like a bottom-up approach to the uh, to uh, uh, social business transformation or uh, whatever twenty-first century transformation or what do you want to call it. Um, uh, more and more um, case studies argue that you need top management support in order to get full implementation. If you don't have them on board, uh, then you won't be able to make it all the way. Do you think uh, that the, the, um, the Trojan mice or the Trojans and um, top management support are compatible with each other or can the top executives use the Trojans in a structural manner?
1: Well, that, that last bit was, was the point. I, I, I mean, you know, bottom-up is a false perspective. I mean, it, it, you know, top and bottom is, in a sense, old thinking. Um, the idea of Trojan mice, the idea of engaging in social networks can appeal to the middle and the top just as much as the bottom. Um, and it's a bit about the false assumption about age as well, that it's not about Gen Y. You know, I, I know, you know, I'm... I'm a silver surfer myself. I mean, there are plenty of older people who get the way these things work and are attracted to it, just as there are youngsters who aren't. And equally in an organisation, there are people in the middle and the top who may see a, a opportunity and benefit in working in these ways. Um, and people at the bottom who don't. Um, so, But I think it is about pragmatic approaches to change. And that depends on the organisational culture. I mean, there are some organisations where mandated top-down organisational change happens. I think there are very few. (laughs) And I think there are many examples where they've been seen, they look as if things have worked, but actually the repercussions have been ongoing for a long time. I mean, I know I saw this at the BBC, a number of different big initiatives that would have been superficially seen to be significant, but actually had ongoing consequences that arguably were negative. Um, So I think it is about a different approach to change in organisations. The thing about, Well, two things about the senior people and and case studies. I'm wary of case studies. Um, Most of them aren't actually what happened and and tend to be a a slightly glossy version of the truth. Um, And also, if you're having to keep reading case studies, you're wasting time, you know. Um, You need to care enough about this to have a go and get on with it and become your own case study rather rather than reading other people's. Especially as Um, as a
0: company being... uh... Uh, and, and, and I, I dare to argue uh, each company is different you have different people you have different CEOs you have different structures different hierarchies different uh, products uh, different location different countries different cultures
1: that's right so just because it's worked for one doesn't mean it's going to work for you and and yes there's advantage in understanding aspects of what's worked for people but I think I think it's uh, it's overplayed and and um, certainly the senior, Dealing with senior people, I think, is, is is significant. And as much as, you know, you don't want to spook the horses, um, and and surprising your boss is not never a good idea, uh, in any organisation. So making sure that they are, at least notionally aware of what you're up to, I think matters. Um, that's a different thing from asking for permission. Um, you know, I think I think most still most organizations if you asked for permission for half of this you would just get the answer no because uh, it's too unfamiliar it's not how they got where they are today blah 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 but that and so that yeah you're, you're right there is a degree of under the radar of the Trojan mice approach and um, that it, it's tactical it's pragmatic you have enough people and at enough senior levels comfortable with what you're doing to get away with it but that doesn't necessarily mean having to get the very senior boss to 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 sign up. Because, you know, I, I spent a long time writing strategy reports and papers for John Burt, the director general of the BBC at the time, and, you know, I eventually realised that I was asking him the impossible, you know, I, I, in a sense I was trying to build a new world using the rules of the old one, which is of a big comprehensive laid out strategy that I was going to predict was going to happen in certain ways. I, I don't think that's how this stuff works. I mean, in the book, another phrase I use is from the American Marines, which is keep moving, stay in touch and head for the high ground, which I think is is great tactical strategy. I mean, and I think you can also make the case to be strategically tactical, if that makes sense. You know, you can say to your chief executive, this world operates in these ways. It's different from what we're used to. I'm going to take an incremental Trojan mice tactical approach. Give me a year to do it. And these are the type of benefits I think we're going to see. Which is very different from writing a social enterprise strategy that looks much like all the other strategies that end up on the shelf.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly, because by now uh, we know that 80% of all those initiatives fail miserably. And uh, so there's something being done not right, and there's only a few doing it right. So if you take the, the bulk of the, uh, the case studies, uh, you could argue that they're worthless because you have to uh, look at the statistics as they are. Uh, oh, talk about statistics! Um, there's there's more and more analytics being done in on social business. Obviously, we have uh, the tools by, for example, IBM, who is very good at providing statistics. Um, uh, c- can we put analytics and and case studies on the on the on the same shelf as as uh, as opposed to a real world and get a feel for the situation and, and be in the company and on the ground floor to help people out?
1: I think partly with analytics and statistics, it's a question of timing in as much as, you know, we all know online how, how interesting it is to see how many people are reading or not so much how many people, but who's reading what you've written? Who, who are you connecting with? This comes back to the quality versus quantity thing. So I think... This is true in terms of overall success of these initiatives, that if you set up the expectation of numbers of users or volume of activity as being a key measure, then you could be seen to fail quite quickly. Um, whereas if you set up meaningful, valuable, purposeful connections, then that's more of a sort of story-based Means of measuring, you know, how much impact has this question being answered had? So, you know, I, I thankfully wasn't asked to do too much return on investment justification, but I had an instinct that it was not about numbers; it was about subjective value. So, I would collate stories of where our tools had made a difference, um, and, and then reflect those back into the organisation or use them to justify the effort. Um, I think another point on that is to make the point that I think people are suckered into spending way too much money on technology these days, which then causes more pressure to justify the investment. Um, you know, I think that, 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 that spending as little as possible in the first instance makes the justification easier, and then you can always grow as as the, as the effectiveness becomes more apparent. Right, right, right. So, I mean, it's not, it's, you know, it, it, I think once you get up and running and you've got volume and, and you can get really interesting patterns, I mean, I think for many... The benefit of these tools is sometimes for the first time they get to really see what's going on in their organisation. Yeah, exactly. I'm not not against analytics or monitoring or or whatever, but as I say, I think it's just a question of making sure that you're not caught measuring the wrong things at the wrong time and then seem seem to be failing.
0: Yeah, that's on a a, a very... uh, uh, much lower level. It's the same with 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 a website or with blogging. I mean, you can yeah. stare blindly at the the amount of page loads that you get, but it doesn't tell you anything.
1: Well, I mean, uh, I, I'm quite honest in the book it may this may just be sour grapes that I don't have as many followers as Robert Scoble, but I I couldn't cope with that volume, um, and that volume brings problems with it. Um, you know, so for me, the power of my network is the fact that I've ended up meeting the inventors of the internet and sitting around a campfire with Tim Berners-Lee. You know, it's it's about quant quality rather than quantity um, and effectiveness. And is is it doing? Are these tools doing what you need them to do? Is is a better question than just how many people are, are using them or viewing your posts?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's 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 using the tools as as, as properly as possible,
1: and. Uh, well, that, that also touches on the fact that it's about making a difference in the business so arguably we shouldn't be measuring these separately <laughs> you know um, if they've uh, had an impact on the business, the business will be measuring the, the work anyway um, so I think that's an important thing to, to point to make that just measuring them as an end in themselves is is slightly distracting i think it's about how do they make a difference to the actual business itself right right which is, right which is around the stories about this saved this amount of money or this opportunity was able to be grasped because we knew about it earlier or, or all those sorts of things
0: yeah exactly yeah so there's a couple of uh, tricks at, at at recording analytics and 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 getting the right statistics from them uh, it's it's not as as straightforward well you should collect as much data as you can but it's interpreting the data which is going to be the trick
1: as has always been the case yeah Yeah. exactly exactly
0: so um, um, in in social business there's a lot of discussion about uh, organizational structures uh, where we uh, flatten uh, or restructure hierarchies uh, uh, we're now uh, faced with holacracy which is uh, uh, another extreme um uh, uh, I just wrote a blog post about Ricardo Semler uh, with the Semco uh, tactics. Well,
1: I, I, re- I read Ricardo's book when I was starting out 13 years ago. So, yeah.
0: There you go.
1: <laughs>
0: so, and but, but that's that's uh, what I call uh, uh, extreme social business. Um, yeah. And but, but I, I did learn that there's a lot of interest still. I mean, he's 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 teaching at uh, MIT. Uh, is lecturing there and and but there's not a whole lot of uh, companies that are still uh, that yeah. are very willing to adopt this line of
1: thinking Well this sort of goes back to my point about organisations don't, <laughs> people do um, and, and in fact uh, you know the case study thing I, I think there's a consistent pattern in people who've made this stuff stick and it's invariably that there is someone who cares enough to keep pushing and um, and that was Ricardo's case he just got passionate he wanted it to happen he pushed he pulled he cajoled he kept fighting to make sure it happened and so you watch people sort of half-heartedly thinking yeah we should do it because everybody else is doing it and you get into the whole business of buying the tools and setting up the committees and blah 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 but it doesn't happen because nobody cares enough and so I think caring getting passionate making putting it's about energy it's about energy management putting more energy into these networks is how they work um, and again, that's an uncomfortable thing for business because business is quite dispassionate and, and professional. Um, you know, and, and a, a dispassionate professional social network doesn't, I don't think, ever really take off. And and I mean, in terms of Ricardo and the model and, and holacracy, um, you know, uh, there's a risk of over theorizing about all these things, and and it, and it keeps people busy, but it, it it's a challenge unless you're a startup or a small organisation where you've got the opportunity to work differently from the beginning. Um, you know, I sometimes wonder, working for the big organisations I do, if I'm spending my life trying to resuscitate dinosaurs um, and whether it might be just kinder to shoot them. But, but then I think, well, the United Nations aren't going away tomorrow, the European Commission's not going away tomorrow, the World Bank's not... You know, there are all these... And most of us work still in large, complex, conventional organisations...
0: Yeah, well, that, that's sure. not going to change in a hurry.
1: No, I mean in the future, yes. I mean the, we will be more networked. The relationship with employers will be different. We will be more flexible, and the definition of the edges of organisations will change, and the shapes of them internally will change. Um, but not by somebody blowing a whistle, you know. Now, do um, you think
0: it's something that over time is going to be uh, inevitable for many companies? A do or die situation. Yes. And 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 yes, I do. Do you have a, um, a, a a visual, if you will, for what the end game will look like when 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 we reach would, would be would we be able to reach a certain point anyway where we could say for well for the past decades we've been working this way we've been trying it this way do we are we able to reach a certain point where we're going to say well we're satisfied or we're we did reach it or the companies that didn't want to go died out and, and, and any company that's starting up now uh, uses this philosophy.
1: Uh, only with a very sort of broad brush in the sense that you know you could you could look back retrospectively and sort of mark a point at which Taylorism began to dominate or, or whatever. I mean, only in that sense. Um, I'm quite often quoted from an interview I did with Dennis Howlett where he asked me how long I thought it would take for all of this stuff to be apparently normal and I said 50 years um, and he was surprised and I said well I think it's because it's on that type of scale of change and if you look at um, you know what's happening in Hong Kong at the moment things like North Africa you know it's almost like the silent majority in many of these circumstances are beginning to realise that they have a voice now and I think our conventional polarised left or right socialist or capitalist politics are beginning to be not good enough or not appropriate enough for what we're beginning to grope our way towards. Um, so when you take the world of work within the context of those wider changes, and I think we are in a p- parallel situation to the advent of the printing press, and you know that led to the Reformation and the Enlightenment, and and I'm optimistic that we are in the, on that sort of a trajectory. Um, then it means that the small battles that we might lose on the way are relatively unimportant, given the bigger arc. Now it doesn't mean that I'm complacent about this all ending up well. It might not. Uh, you know, we we might blow the opportunity. That's why I kind of have a sense of urgency when I get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, yeah okay,
0: I can imagine that. Yeah, um, I think uh, on on that high note uh, we can wrap this up. Um, i thank you for your questions i have to uh, as for the because i read uh, so you you got a newsletter i urge everybody to to go to your website uh uansample.com it's uh e u a n sample and uh, slash newsletter and and just sign up um you also do a very lovely podcast with uh, Megan Murray uh, I thank love, you, yeah I love listening to that. that that's very I mean walking the dogs listening to you guys go on about a certain topic is uh, uh, yeah enlightening it's it's very constructive and and, and it's absolutely worth listening to um, thank you yeah you're welcome uh, then for the uh, well it's true uh, 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 if you want to see you and talk um about how to get more out of the social collaboration issue and driving the business value for social collaboration, those kind of things. Uh, please join Ewan and myself uh, in London uh, on the end, at on in at the Enterprise 2.0 Summit. It's uh, November 26th, 2014 this year uh, in London. Um, links to all this is going to be in the show notes. Uh, Ewan, thank you very much. My pleasure. And we will meet in real life in London. And then we can say we have met. Looking (laughs) forward to it. For real. Um, Okay. And talk to you next time.